J. B. It's my name, and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game. Point on Negro, Black, African American, Black, Black, Black. Django. J. B. Damn, Dolomite. Great God in heaven, you know Our great Negro sex machine. Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. There are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air conditioning as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast and prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you've talked to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. Back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. I didn't do my usual opening because this is a lost episode. And as I've stated in the past, lost episodes are normally people from my past, friends or relatives. And uh, today I have a friend, uh, Marty Leak, and uh, we're going to get deep into Marty's story. But Marty, where in the heck do we find you today? <laughs> I'm actually in a private uh, room at the Ocean Shores Library, which is located in, on the peninsula of Washington State, uh, less than half a mile from the ocean, Pacific Coast. So you way out west, in other words. Can't get no further unless I get Marty and I go way back to our pre-teens. Oh, yeah. We were altar boys together. We ran the streets of St. Louis together. We um, even played on uh, in a uh, street hockey group, part of yes. a summer youth program. And, I, and I'll never forget, Marty scored the winning goal for the championship, having a puck bounce off his body into the net. That's right. <laughs> so... In hockey, they now call that puck luck. We were yes. just, we was like, Marty was in the way and the puck went in. Most definitely. But it's, uh, it's, 
things find you find you well? Oh gosh, yes. Um, every day I wake up in this now going into my eleventh and almost twelfth year of retirement. It's it's truly a blessing. Blah blah truly blah. Blessing. Retirement. <laughs> <laughs> you know how ticked off I am to hear you and my sisters and <laughs> Michael and. Dan, other relatives and friends talk about retirement knowing I got years before that may happen unless I win the lottery and then <laughs> the world can suck it at that point but uh, <laughs> um, no I'm glad to hear you you enjoying retirement and uh, we're going to get into your retirement story in, in full but um, let's continue talking about our, our youth so um, oh, yeah. we went to Sumner High School together. Marty played on the football team. I was the team manager slash trainer. And, um, the, uh, the bumper music that I played earlier is very familiar to Marty. Uh, yes, it's, sir. it's Knee Deep by Parliament Funkadelic. Yes, sir. <laughs> when I bring up Knee Deep by Parliament Funkadelic, what is that, what memory does that bring back? Getting to the intersection on the corner, our corner, Labity and Whittier, mm-hmm. with our football equipment, walking up toward the high school. Yeah. And then playing it again in the locker room, on the bus, yeah. and in the locker room. Yeah. <laughs> Distinct memories of yeah. youth. Yeah, we... Embedded. We didn't have a school fight song, so our so our school fight song was "Knee Deep" by Paula McFunkadelic, and I hear people talk about, especially when we played at O'Fallon Tech, because yeah. the, the the locker rooms were in were in the school building, away from the field, and we would come up the hill, and we would come up the hill with me holding the boombox playing "Knee Deep." And, yes. and everybody and all of a sudden the cheerleaders would get in front of us and it just set the whole place off because they, they knew they were in for an ex- a very exciting afternoon of uh, I was going to say gopher football my god no uh, bulldogs football Sumner High bulldogs football. Yeah. that's right and it's that's the good. for people that don't know it's the oldest all black high school west of the Mississippi in the you know in the country and uh, yes. that's the school that we went to. There's several stories about my time in the D.C. area we had to go back to as we move forward uh, about people asking me where you're from, you know, when you get to certain locations. Mm-hmm. folks, And they would ask me, I said, yeah, I'm from St. Louis. And they would ask me, do you know a Sumner, Charles Sumner High School? And I look at them like, well, how the hell do they know? Right. <laughs> But go ahead, go ahead. No, I mean, continue on with that. That's a good Oh, oh it, it happened twice. Um, my son and I were on the mall in D.C. Uh, it turned out some guy, they were from the New England area. And Jeff King, one of my buddies from, he's now retired from the police department. We had a kids down there. One time we were bicycling, that happened. And then we was with Jeff and guy you know everybody there is so diverse i guess like i told jeff and Corey, i said dad does everybody know you're a police officer and i'm like no but we were the only people speaking without an accent it was so diverse and then remember the guy says where are you from i said i'm from st louis 
He goes, oh, isn't there a school named Charles Sumner High School? And I look at this man, <laughs> and he's and he's not a white guy. He's he's Pakistani. <laughs> right. How does he know? Yeah. He did his uh, his uh, college years in that area. And okay. Tours. And, of course, Charles Sumner was a well-known abolitionist. And if you go to Boston, which I've done, you'll see his name everywhere. And mm-hmm. I, I remember as a child, everyone's telling us, you know, you go to the oldest black high school west of the Mississippi. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, right. But who else would you would think would know that? <laughs> right. Outside of the city, you know. So that 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 happened a couple of times. I, I was very impressed. I, I my chest stood even bigger as I was just smiling, like, yeah, that's my high school, baby. <laughs> yeah, we were a, uh, and I hate to use this term, but there's no other term to use. We were a football factory at the time. Yes. We yeah. had uh, guys going off to major colleges, middle colleges, you know, small oh, colleges uh, to continue yeah. to play football. But it gave us, a, you know, opportunities that we probably would never have had. Um, yes. When I say Coach Walls and Coach Perry, what does that make you think of? Block somebody. Block somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just never forget that. All this voice, this voice. Block somebody. It's TC, block somebody. <laughs> they were definitely our fathers. Yeah. Uh, it, it means so much to get the opportunity to visit other places. And that avenue started in August with two a days, which we, you, nobody does anymore. Right. Cause you can't, <laughs> and, yeah. you can't, it's against the rules. We, we violated that rule so many times, but those two men were so instrumental in the lives of hundreds, if not thousands of young men. Um, there is not enough praise that can be given to them and the coaches that were at that high school and the teachers um, all of them came from the civil rights era Mm -hmm. before or during our time we were youth below the age of 10 and 5 and they knew the power of education Uh, some that had that uh, college prep program which I was a part of and you you know you put in these things and it takes years for you to appreciate it and to really look back upon your youth and go, wow, that truly is an impact. It, it truly is. The coach Perry was my coach because I played defense and their laid back attitudes. And yeah, they yell like most mm-hmm. coaches. Um, the, the band leader, Mr. Murray, I was in band and uh, yeah, it wasn't unusual to have a coach yell, whereas today you can't do that much. <laughs> no, I just did an interview with the head baseball coach at the University of Minnesota, who's going into his 40th season, and mm-hmm. he was talking about how how do you discipline a, a college athlete these days? Because if you do, they'll probably transfer on you. So yeah. it's like he goes, it is a very dip- difficult thing to to do. It is. Um, I, I saw the change in my career and in the military before I left and in the D.C. area mm-hmm. where the power of civil rights led into women's rights. Well, it was a part of both, really. But right. the, whole, the whole idea of not having 
pin up women in locker rooms when from the military, right, when I was coming out in the early 80s, and then into my police department, professional law enforcement agencies. We had a locker room. No, you can't have those pictures up. It's degrading of women. So it's a powerful statement as we progress. And I will never forget to comment, a kinder, gentler society. Um, yeah, there's a better way other than yelling and cursing sometimes. Right. And I've learned that over time, and even with my own kids. It's a far different from the way we were raised. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, let's go. Let's go a little bit back further. You know, well, or stay in our childhood. We grew up, and I call it the thirteen. We had uh, thirteen male friends um, from four or five different, six different households. Yes. Who hung out with each other at school, and um, after school, either yes. our sports or. Once we got home from sports or whatever, the weekends, whatever. And mm -hmm. to me, it's it's a powerful signal that young men, young, especially young black men, can hang out with each other and have a positive effect on each other. Yes. Yes. And it, it is so, it is such a, that time shaped my time going forward. Our parents actually knew one another before a lot of us were born. Right. That they had children before us and that they lived in a community called the Ville where everyone talked and kept up, up to date with the children in the community. Uh, we walked to school every morning. I would yes. tell my kids that when they get on a bus and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> get a bus? What you mean get a bus? And um, it, it, those friendships last to this day. That's that's the most important aspect of it. Yeah, we um, we have a group text that um, every once yes. in a while one of us will get a little <laughs> little upset <laughs> with, but um, it's all in good fun. Yes, but it's it's a part of who we are. Hold on a second, I gotta I was bringing something up there mm -hmm. because I have so much social media. I thought this was going to be a video. Uh, podcast. No, nope. uh, no, nope. I, I maybe I, I might try that one of these days, but I'm so afraid to unplug anything at this point, Marty, because it took me so long <laughs> to figure out how to get it all together. It's like, because uh, I know, I know. It, it's funny how I remember when we were graduating, when we joked about in 20 to 30 years we would have flying cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we. You know, we don't have that, but we have a lot of other things that we talk joked about. Yes, the tri. What was the thing in Star Trek? The the, the flip phone. That right. Have to be. Yeah, we have those Velcro. I can't mm -hmm. believe a lot of the things I use for backpacking. This this Velcro. Again, there's not a zipper here. <laughs> <laughs> you but know that that youth time that we had growing up is so instrumental in the people that were a part of our lives. Uh, it still resonates to this day with, as I move forward, the, the police department, and I remember talking to someone, they were telling me, we're gonna get these general orders. Each officer would have their general orders. And we had a class and they go through the general orders and it says, you know, you don't wanna embarrass the department. And I'm thinking, 
I don't want to embarrass Joe and Ruth Leak. Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that was that's always where it started. You didn't want to embarrass your parents and your family and your the the guys you grew up with and yes. You know we and that's and when I go back to that thought, we kept each mm-hmm. other out of trouble instead yes. of getting each other in trouble. Trouble. <laughs> we thought things through. Through right, and it's like, well, if we do this, what are the ramifications? Okay. We didn't say ramifications, <laughs> but we was like, what would happen? What, what are the chances of getting away Wait with it? it. If we don't get away with it, what the hell's gonna? And, and then we'd weigh and go, nah, screw it. This, you know, skip it this time. Or yes. next time is like, nah, I don't think anybody can catch us. And we, yeah. <laughs> some of the things we did, like be on the fourth floor of the school, which wasn't open, and and tip oh, cups yeah. of water on people and. Yeah. <laughs> And, Wait a minute. What what about that? Uh, you all, uh, I I wasn't there. I heard about this. Someone was putting uh, bottles and brown paper bags and putting them in the street, or throwing them tomatoes off the roof. No, I know about the tomatoes on the roof. I don't know about the brown paper bags. <laughs> tomatoes off the roof. Um, what? Uh, Spirit Week. At one time, it was Grease Day. And we decided, oh, yes. and we decided to grease a set of stairs, which now was probably the most dangerous thing we ever did because somebody could have broken their neck. But uh, yeah, grease day. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. We actually went the opposite way. Some of those things are definitely detrimental to human bodies. Right. But um, I think we did a lot of things, like the time we we married people. Well, you yeah. married. <laughs> Yeah, the church are better fools and jackasses. Yeah, yes. we got a we got <laughs> got a hold of um, some uh, plastic rings out of a bubble gum machine. And, oh yeah, and we right. sold them for a dime for people yeah. to get married. Yeah, we were that's making right. you know we were making chump change, but we had some people who kept coming back and whatnot mm-hmm. with different people, and it's like. Clearly, it wasn't a school-sanctioned function, but we didn't get in trouble for it, so. We had extra lunch money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I think, if I'm correct, somebody married Clayton Lindsay and Paula May Lindsay, who was, they've been married, what, 42 years? Yep. <laughs> they got married at school before their real wedding. Right. <laughs> Which was, were they, were we even out of school before they were married for real or or was it right after they we graduated no no that, they got married after we graduated okay I believe. because i know you are someone or we i'm so <laughs> what we got the rings and they were married right no because they were like the high school sweethearts yep definitely definitely yeah mm-hmm. they had started the family a little early and uh <laughs> <laughs> and normally that doesn't stick but it is what did you say it's 42 years now and they're still together and yes and they yes uh their children are grown and now they're grandparents and maybe even a great grandparents and yeah. uh yeah and um no we just had a deep respect for our neighborhood our each other's parents, our, and when it came down to it, ourselves. Mm-hmm. 
to stay out of trouble. Trouble. Yeah, because yeah. remember, remember Miss Handy, Miss Dangerfield, Mr. Mm-hmm. James. These were the the, the neighborhood eyes. Yes. Miss Handy always thought you and Ronnie were really bad influence for me. Yeah, and the reverse is you were, but anyway. <laughs> I was kind of the more ideal man and then stand you, back you and were. watch it and watch it happen. <laughs> I, I I still think you should be writing for uh, skits for uh, Saturday Night Live. Like you came up with the church of <laughs> Some jackasses. Yeah. No, I, um, on this podcast, I've interviewed what five, six comics and, yeah. and I used to be a part of a different podcast where I would come in on Fridays and Fridays was always comics and comics would ask me, mm-hmm. was I a comic? And I was like, no. And they would go, Man, you should either be one or write for, for write for comics. And so yes. I just tell people now, I said, yeah, I could never be a comic, but I'm a better comic because I'm probably a better comedy writer than uh, being in front of people and standing there and putting myself out there. Yeah, that's that's something that I'm coming up on as a writer. Uh, I'm I'm getting better at putting right. myself out there even though i've i've done the youtube videos and i've been on uh, cable television access channel back in virginia i had a program and all that stuff but i, I think because uh, i got time and when you have time you really get to assess what what you really want to do you know uh, that's for me as for me it is so right I'm, I'm going down that path. I, I call it the rabbit hole uh, <laughs> of writing because once you start writing, you develop characters, you take the classes, you go to the uh, writing associations, and you hobnob and network with others, and then you realize because we were raised with such a strict ideology of not telling a lie. Yep. Somebody would find out. So we become Boy Scouts and. Yeah. Raise your right hand. On your honor, do my duty to do my best to God and country. To help uh, scout law, da 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 da. Well, I joined the military. Hold, hold on. I, I want to stop you there. I want people to hear something. Yeah. We were part of an all black Boy Scout troop. Yes. <laughs> and every summer we would go to summer camp and yes. set a national record for merit badges, merit badges and yes. skill awards earned yeah. by troops. Every mm-hmm. summer. Every summer. S-Bar F Boy Scout Ranch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we would, and I still have some of my stuff here in some box somewhere, but, yeah, we'd get there, and, we, and the secret was uh, our scoutmaster, William Watkins, yes. would have us prep mm-hmm. before we, weeks before we uh, packed up to go on the, the trip. And yes. um, so when we got there, we had most of our work done. We, mm-hmm. All we had to do was uh, show the actions and um, and show our work mm-hmm. and, and get our and get our merit badges and skill awards. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's it set a standard and 
it, it, it means so much to this day. Like Ron is, uh, when followed the path of law enforcement, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's truly an amazing aspect of life when you take those early years and you nurture people to believe in themselves, to go forward in life and nothing is not out of your reach. Yeah. I mean, you just got to, you just got to be disciplined and, and stay the course, stay focused. I always tell, I always tell people we had three, four guys who became Eagle Scouts and the rest of us figured out, found out about girls. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, the rest of us found out about girls. I mean, we were all like merit badges and a service project away from being like uh, Eagle Scouts. And we're like, but after the football game, we can hang out. (laughs) So we can party. Right. That Uh, became more, right. That became more of an interest. No, we would um, walk to high school every morning and walk. And I'd never forget. I can never remember who would be the first, mm-hmm. but we would literally start at that person would start. And as he walked, yeah. he would yell out somebody's mother's name and that person would join him. <laughs> and then they would continue to the next house and yell out that person's mother name and to, so forth and so on until we got, got everybody and walked to school. <laughs> and that. That has become such an ingrained feeling of love. Uh, B, mm-hmm. Ruth, Ozell, yeah. Carol, uh, Ethel. Oh, I remember that morning we were getting ready to walk to school and we had to get up. We went up to Ronnie's place and uh, I made the joke. I was like, yeah, my dad's uh, station, they ran all out of Ethel gas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he got me. <laughs> Okay, we got to get out of this world. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was a we were being smart asses, but it was yeah, also yeah. a sign or a sign of love to, toward our mothers. Yes. And yes. Uh, um but it was our way of saying get your butt out of the house, let's go. We're going to school. That's right. mm-hmm. And we all got there as a group and whatnot and yeah. So, and everybody graduated. <laughs> yeah, some of us it took a little bit longer than others, but uh, yeah. we we all, I think for the most part, uh, graduated. And mm-hmm. speak post graduation, you did what, sir? I went to Northeast Missouri State University and was on a partial and partial scholarship, and mm-hmm. it was. One thing I did learn, the difference between high school and college was there was nobody there to go, hey, you got to do this. Right. That was it. So getting into that rhythm of doing what you're supposed to do was ingrained in me by where I was raised. But I think my issue was I wanted money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's be honest. I mean, mom would send me some, what, 25 bucks a week, and I'm like, Shoot, I'm burning through this on Wednesday. Right. <laughs> so, I, and I think, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was lucky. I was mm-hmm. a, um, and people are going to scratch their heads on this one, but you can uh, verify this. I was a recruited yes. manager slash trainer in high That's school. Right. I had mm-hmm. two schools 
wanted me to come to their school, and I went to neither one of them. I wound up <laughs> in a third place because it was Colo- the University of Colorado and the University Colorado. of Missouri, and Missouri started jerking me around, and the guy who was recruiting me out of Colorado came to Minnesota, and that's how yeah. I wound up at Minnesota. But um, And actually, I was to be an athletic trainer, and they didn't have any money for me, so they moved me to, as I, we joke, they moved me to the dark side. And um, <laughs> I do, did and do athletic, uh, athletic equipment for the longest time post that. But, um, oh, you, but you were in your college days, and you figured out you needed money, and so you did yeah. what? I think I was with you, and I went down that summer. That after our first year of college, we went to some place in St. Louis, and it was some type of government program job. Yeah, CETA program. Yeah, yeah, the CETA program. And I never forget that guy looking at me. He goes, "You don't qualify. Your parents make too much money." And I'm thinking, "You don't know my dad. <laughs> <laughs> he, he ain't giving me no money, man." Right. <laughs> but um. I remember we, I, I was really dejected because I'm thinking, why does, how does this correlate with the fact that I can't get this job because my parents make this amount of money? Mm-hmm. And I remember a couple of days later, I gave consideration to the military. And I remember telling my dad, he goes, well, that's a good choice, but you know, you ought to go back to school. And I just read a book called Educated by Tara Westover. And the similarities of, did I want to go back to the service station and work during the summer? <laughs> right. <laughs> that was basically it. And I'm like, nah. So I went into the Army as an MP, military police, because that was my major in, in college law enforcement. And uh, everything just took off. It really did. Uh, I know it broke my mother's heart that I didn't continue. Uh, but, but hold on a second. Let's be truthful. Mm-hmm. I was raised around my dad's service station in right. a car, with trucks. I'm not a guy that wants the fancy wheels. I just like, I love driving. Mm-hmm. And I love trucks. Yeah. So on the football field, in the fall of 1979, Kenny Davis, and I was a senior, Kenny was behind me, a junior, and we were talking on the field about, you know, what college you're going to go to. And I asked him, he goes, I want to drive trucks my uncle down in Georgia is going to be give me opportunity to to go out with him. And I'm like, what? You can do that? And then a split second goes by when I'm thinking, Ruth Lee would beat me senseless all over the city (laughs) with scholarship offers and you want to drive trucks. So I really wanted to drive trucks and, but I didn't get to do that until 30 years, 40 years later when I retired. So I got the opportunity, but I realized it's the, the route that I took was better because trucking up until this time now is is not the most healthiest of occupations. Right, <laughs> sedentary lifestyle. That's not yes. the best. No. Uh, uh, so it, it 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 was it was a great journey. Uh, went to Anderson, Alabama for basic and I went basic and what they call advanced individual training. I got certified, and then they shipped me to Germany. Uh, landed in Frankfurt, Germany, and then a place called Bad Kitzigen, B-A-D-K-I-T-G-E-N. 
And that was my exposure to Germany. And I know if I get the chance, there's a chance I will go back and I probably won't return. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one aspect that I did notice is that uh, in the streets, mm-hmm. uh, streets names were given to Dr. Well, I thought were thought Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King. <laughs> it was Martin Luther Strasse. Then you had another one. At each city, you had Martin Luther Strasse. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking it's Martin Luther King. And no, it's the Lutheran, the former bishop, Catholic bishop that began the Lutheran church. Right. So I had a great time. Uh, drank a lot of beer, kept <laughs> active. It was, it was, uh, oh, what was it? Six months in my actual what they call a MP unit where you work the road and then you go to the field. And then I began working with uh, a program called uh, drug suppression team. Uh, basically they just gave me a car, fake ID and a place to stay. And you spent Thursday through Sunday trying to buy drugs. <laughs> That's all it was, but it was fun. And so, but everything changed when I got back here to the U S uh, I got orders for Fort Belvoir, Virginia. They didn't want me to leave. I got an Army Achievement Medal. They were giving me all these awards. And basically, the power of media, you you never appreciate the power of media until you leave this country. Um, The television show Good Times was very popular. And it plays in Germany. Mm -hmm. So I had a confidential informant named Ziggy. Yes. Z-I-G-G-Y. That was her name. <laughs> Auburn red hair. <laughs> well, the the owner of the um, Vikings' first name is Ziggy. Yeah. His yeah. name is Zig- Zygmunt, like but they call Zygmunt. him Ziggy. Ziggy. And wherever we went, it was easy. So I would do my deals early on and then take the rest of my money and go get go to drinking. But when I got back here to the States and they didn't want me to leave, I said, I've never been in the military here. And I was here six more months. And then I took over a position doing the same thing in the U S but right before I left that unit, I worked the weekend of Memorial day, 1982 or 83 when a guy on a horse was at, cause I was in full uniform and there was a guy on a horse to my right. And I'm in my military regalia and looking sharp and strapped. And I look over to my right and the horse is pooping. And the location we are at is Arlington Cemetery, Memorial Day weekend. And there is a American flag in every in front of every headstone. Mm-hmm. And I yell at the guy and the guy comes over on the horse and the horse starts doing it again. <laughs> and our conversation goes like this. What are you doing here? He says, I'm with the park police. I said, what are you needed here for? He says, listen, at the end of the day, when you all leave, because we were only there for ceremonial purposes, looking good. Mm -hmm. He says, this land belongs to the park police. And I'm part of the mounted unit. And I'm like, what? What do y'all get paid, man? What do you get paid to be out here? He says, today is holiday pay. Well, if anyone listening to this is aware of the United States military, there is no such thing as holiday pay. Right. But that man made what I made every two weeks in that day. (laughs) I was just like, what? I think it was something like 400 bucks. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't need a college education to 
figure out I need to get out. So yeah, that started the whole process. So how many years were you in the military before you? Oh, I was only there. I signed up initially for three. I was going to go back to Germany because mm-hmm. I had married and was going to take her back. And then when I discovered the pay, uh, what they were paying for law enforcement in Fairfax County, and then ended up going to Prince William County, that's where I ended up with. Um, it was a shock, and everything was downhill. Basically, from uh, the men that I met in the military, because when I first arrived in July of 83, I think it was, yeah, 83, I went to Seneca, New York, and when I arrived at Seneca, New York, I met five of the best friends that I t- have told them, you all remind me of my friends from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And we are still friends to this day. Uh, one of my closest friends is uh, Anthony Spencer, Anthony E. And uh, he, she's retired. He's in Florida. And we all, he got me to, he, he didn't get me the job. He suggested that I go to Prince William and apply. And when I, uh, I just literally applied because I was already working for a company called Woodworth and Lothar. I was going to go through there. Uh, corporate security program that they had set up and everything's history after I applied because I applied in October background checks were done again in December and November to December I was hired January 1984 1985 and boom that was it so it, it was it was weird because being raised in St. Louis how many white Americans did we see in not, our neighborhood? <laughs> outside of nuns and priests? Not many. Yes, not many. Yeah, we had well, we had the one guy we called Speedy that drove the car really slow through the neighborhood, but that was, <laughs> that was about right. it. That was it. Uh, we would see the, the, the guys at uh, my dad's place next door, uh, Seltzer Auto Parts, Schaefer Lumber up on Natural Bridge. Well, I go to a department uh, that I was one of five black people. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was it. Was a culture shock. It yeah. was such a culture shock that they gave me a radio to take home and listen to because I had to acclimate my ear to understand what these people were saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I understand that because when I got here to uh, Minneapolis at the University of Minnesota, mm-hmm. I was the first black student trainer and then when I moved over to equipment became the first black student manager at school history so it's like okay but you know it never it never phased me it just no oh, this just you know I'm like what I'm doing and mm-hmm. I enjoy the people so I'm just gonna keep doing what I do yeah um, it, it was it was a shock at times because what was it? I went to the, I, I, I practiced on the road with a guy to this day. I still know and love. He had a birthday two days ago, Ray Colgan. And Ray's father was a delegate for the uh, state of Virginia and was there 40 years. So they used to have a big party at this place called Lake Anna. And I would go with my kids and uh, got to know his father, his mother, and all of his brother. They're Irish. They're of Irish descent. And their family remind me of the black shooters. Uh-oh. Yes. <laughs> How is that? Because I can look at you, I can see Michael, I can see Danny, I can see Kevin, 
I can see Charlotte, Lillian. I can see the look of each of them in from you <laughs> who I knew first. Well, you go to a oh a Colgan event, you got the same people looking the same. There's like yeah. twenty of them. Like whoa! Like what the heck? Well, I I joke because you know my mother was Catholic and she mm-hmm. wanted a big family. I joke. I used to joke that I'm from a black Irish Catholic family. Yes, because <laughs> there was nine kids in the family. So, yeah, <laughs> it, it it was a great time. Uh, they are still to this day family. They are family. If any uh, people are always asking, like my daughter. She tracks me with my Apple Watch, mm-hmm. and she said, hey, "What happens if, you know, you're out traveling? What's going to happen to you?" I said, "Listen, you just call Mr. Tony or call the police department. They'll hunt me down and find a body. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're family. We're definitely family." Well, that's probably it's not what probably not what she wants to hear. No, no. Of course, I make jokes because <laughs> for so many years, I, I think. The further I get away from my career, I look back on it and I marvel at the things that I've done. Because when you're in it, at the time, it's just your job. Right. You just do You're it. in it. Yeah. And you're not thinking of the danger. You're just taking the training and the precautions. And the training was essential for us. Uh, there was a time in the 90s we used to call ourselves the well overtrained professional law enforcement. <laughs> Uh, they got our chief dean came to me and he said, Marty, we're going to get our own uh, academy. I'm like, what? So we get the academy, and we, when you have an academy, uh, your own police academy, and we split it with the fire department for the county, and now they got a track there and everything. You bring in others from around the Midwest, not Midwest, Middle uh, Eastern region, you know, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, North mm-hmm. Carolina. That's when you realize that all police departments are not the same. They're not as professional, mm-hmm. and some are subpar. Right. And that was a big shock for us. And that's how we were able to keep a lot of our officers when we would uh, let them interact with others. Uh, even though the military, not the military, the U.S. government, you had the FBI, DEA, ATF, uh, other agencies that would always pick from the locals because you know, everybody want to have prestige and status, but I remember growing up and hearing older, what I call black men who escaped the Jim Crow South, would make the comment, the grass is not always green on that other side. Right. And that's why I stayed. Uh, I, I did give consideration to returning to St. Louis and working in law enforcement there, but I was happier where I was. Well, so, and, and that answers the question that uh, mm-hmm. I had that I never knew before, which was why did you stay there to become a police <laughs> officer? And, you know, you, you talked about the pay and you talked about what you saw and how you felt. So it clearly answers that question. Oh, uh, it, go ahead. It definitely was the money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to take... I'm going to take a commercial break here, Marty. Yes, as oh, okay. you, you know I have commercials because you actually listen to my podcast, and yes, I appreciate I that. I'm going to take yes, a commercial break. I'm going to ask you if you if you possibly can to mute yourself, and when you hear me say "Welcome back," then you know uh-huh. that 
we can continue at that point. But I'm going to run a spot and run some more Parliament Funkadelic buffer music and uh, <laughs> and continue on with my uh, longtime friend, Marty J. Leak, here on one of the lost episodes of the JB Low, Low Tech Podcast. Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air conditioning as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast and prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you've talked to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. Get around Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a, I think it's my third or fourth lost episode of JB's Low Tech Podcast, uh, talking with long, lifelong friend Marty, Marty Leak, and when we left, we just got Marty uh, into his uh, vocation of being a police officer in the D.C. area, and um this lead uh, this leads me to my question, Marty. Um, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts of policing, you know, in this country today? Oh, education. <laughs> That's all it comes down to. That's plain and simple. Training, training, training. Um, there is an organization called CALEA. It's the organization that certifies law enforcement agencies to maintain certain standards. Uh, you got the same type of idea with uh, hospitals. Well, we belong to Kalia early on, and Kalia is a part of the International Chiefs of Police, which the chief of police for my department was not only the state president, but he was the international president for many years. And we in the D.C. metro area definitely get paid a lot of money. I used to teach at the academy, and I would tell the young guys, you all will be $100,000 officers before you retire. Mm-hmm. And we had our share of of bad hires. Right. Um, I was a field training officer. I would tell the guys, listen, your word is your bond. You took an oath with your wife or military. You take an oath here. You don't ink paper until you can prove fact. Well, when we had our academy, um, it was the first four years. You, you don't believe it until you see it. These classes 
cover a lot of different things from uh, training, dealing with uh, DUIs to physical training on pepper spray, weapons, whatever. So the classes are basically like school, college. Come, how would you come to college dress? And we had to put a cover sheet on the with instructions to tell people how to right. dress because yes, we had people show up with bib overalls and no shoes. <laughs> yeah, um, we had people show up with two two tank tops. I think it is two tops. Mm-hmm. T-shirts with uh, ungodly statements on them, and we also had uh, just people that would show up in uniform. So. Uh, I remember it was four times they changed it because they had to dictate to people the professionalism that the standards that we held. Um, I gave a class in Fort Lauderdale, uh, what was it, Orlando, Florida, and it was a part of the uh, the thing for identity theft. When identity theft took off in the eighties, I was working in crime prevention, and I gave a talk down there. Me and another guy from Virginia. It was hosted by the International. Sheriff's Association, not the, yeah, the National Sheriff's Association, they asked us to come down and, and give our spiel. And the people from other jurisdictions were talking about the most horrible things that they were doing to people. There are certain states that were on the federal investigation watch list, uh, South Carolina, Louisiana, uh, to name a couple, but I remember standing there telling the, the guy with me, I said, let's move on, move away from these guys because I don't want to be in a lawsuit where I got to tell the truth because these guys are just horrible. And that's how it is. Uh, until we increase the training, until they become federal or national standards, we're going to continue to see these problems. There is a domestic violent, a domestic terrorist organization called the Ku Klux Klan, and they were in our jurisdiction. Uh, the the people that I work with, born and raised in Virginia, is the best word to give it is they are becoming aware that their friend Marty, Tony, Walker, these other black people on that department, had a different perspective of what was visually seen, and they had black enclaves within our county. So we, as a black person, know that they were not allowed just 20 years prior to my arrival, they couldn't go anywhere because, you know, they had been terrorized. And now, what is it, 2021, 20, I get calls from friends and they'll ask me, you know, what was it like? And I'm like, yeah, it was this way. And those enclaves where you all targeted black people were there because that's where they had to live. And the removal of those statues in the state of Virginia, they are softening their mindsets because they were born and raised with revering the people. Yeah. You go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll get on the tangent with that because it <laughs> has become well uh, a thing now. But that does speak to my question. And um, you talked about uh, agencies being uh, federally investigated. Well... Mm-hmm. The Minneapolis police is now facing that and going through that through a federal yeah. review. Yeah. And and it's because the training that they were getting was combative. Yes. Yes. It, it was. Remember earlier I talked about uh, Kindler Gentler. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell you a, a funny story how people looked upon me. 
you, me, all of our 13 friends, none of us get above six foot two, right? Nope. I think uh, Slim is what? Six, six one and three. a half. <laughs> yeah. Six, maybe so. six two on a good day. Yeah. So I had a lot of people, and even to this day, they go, oh, you're so big. And I'm thinking, no, I'm not. I'm Little League. Mm-hmm. Remember? And I'm thinking the big, tall people, six four, six five, six six. that's big to me. Right. And a lot of the times they'll get an incident where they'll say he's six five, six four, And I'm thinking, who? that's big. Well, they'll send 12 officers. I'm thinking, no, uh, you don't have to do that. You can talk people down. Right. There was there was classes called de-escalation. I, I was, was known as a preacher guy. <laughs> uh, I worked in the hostage negotiation. I could de-escalate. I could talk people into doing better for themselves. But they don't teach that. It's an aggressive no. attack mode that mm-hmm. they have to get out of. And I would always tell people who many a times were black African-Americans would say to me, I'm not going to do this. And I'm like, listen, I rarely call the police to help me back me up. But if I ask them, there'll be too many people here for you to deal with. (laughs) But more importantly, in the way every state is different, I just need your signature promising you're coming to court. You don't fight this here. It's your word against mine in front of a judge. Mm-hmm. And when I explain it that way, a lot of times people go, oh, my gosh. I go, yeah. And remember, 20, 30 years ago, we're not having this discussion if they're African-American. I says, that's what I'm here for. I want you to follow the same rules. I'm following the same rules and regulations. And we're going to take it to court. You have to have a day in court. But um, I think you have to go beyond that. I've been on calls, and the first time I used the word, something that we were raised with, yes, sir, no, sir, Mm -hmm. yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, I would address everyone as such. And I never forget that this guy was yelling and screaming, and that's this. And he was such a small and staffy, like five, five. (laughs) Wanted to fight everybody. I go, listen, dude, please. And I saying that word, please caught him off guard. Um, the officers on the scene, of course, that mentality is attack, attack, you know, mm-hmm. right now. And I remember his wife yelling, they're begging you. I said, I'm not begging. I'm just being very respectful and using the word please, please. We just got to get you to, to the magistrate's office, man. <laughs> yeah. Problem was solved. So. Everybody lives. Everybody's, you know. Yes. Not everybody's going to be happy with the outcome, but at least everybody lives. And you, know, mm-hmm. and you get to go home. Now, right. You get times, to go home you know, and you get to, you know, you get to, con- you know, you may have to make some adjustment, but you, you're you still free. And, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's that type of training that mm-hmm. we had. And I remember at the academy, uh, they would have the recruits address everybody that they encountered. Yes, sir. No, sir. It's like being back in the military. Yes, sir. No, sir. And I thought, y'all got to train people to say that. And they go, Marty, everybody's not like you. That made me feel proud of being from St. Louis, being raised in my community mm-hmm. where we were taught those basics. And I rarely had that many issues. Uh, and the ones that I did, you know, it was very simple. 
that's why, you know, they they did not want me to leave. And I was like, I did my 25. I'm through. Prime was here before I arrived. I'm just going to be here after. Right. <laughs> that's, unfortunately, that's true. True. Yeah. It's a lot less, but it's going to be here. So, so it was... Uh, it was 25 mm-hmm. years in? Yep. I did my 25 and left, and I started something because a lot of people stayed 30, 30, 35, 40 mm-hmm. years. And we're, actually, anything over 25 years, you're only working for another 400 hours. I mean, it comes down to money. Right. Uh, I used to make a joke with the chief. He was like, Marty, how you doing? Chief, doing great. If I don't get paid this week, I'm going to be in your office and you always <laughs> come back. You come to my office if you don't get paid. We're going to be in the finance office. It's cool, dude. But um, it, it really it really comes down to training. That's all it is. And teaching people, yeah, I know. Even I, I had a son where they got participate participation trophies. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it teaches a sense of kindness. Everybody wins. Yeah, the word compromise. I mean, if you were married, you had to compromise. <laughs> I always tell people that. So, no one wants to compromise. No one wants to. It's, it's got to like, what is that? Uh, wrestling, WWF. Everybody wants to be a winner. Right. Everybody's a winner if we all walk away. That's true. Are able mm-hmm. to walk away. Yeah. <laughs> so, um,. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have long yeah. since retired, but what was your thoughts as being a person who worked in that area of what happened uh, January 6th of this year? <laughs> you know, that reminded me of 9-11. 9-11, I had injured my knee. My mom came to Virginia to care for me, upset that I wasn't married. Uh, <laughs> You're a single father. You're supposed to be married. If you was married, you wouldn't have me here. And 9-11 took off. The kids started school that week. I'm sitting in the basement on the computer because I had to keep my leg in a perpendicular location for six weeks. I dislocated my kneecap mm-hmm. at Boy Scout camp as a scout leader. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I'm watching this. I couldn't believe it. And then I'm watching the incident take place on January 6th. And I used to be a member and leader of the civil disturbance team on my department. And we trained everybody in the area. D.C. actually came down and gave us classes. And then, of course, we had an academy. We had a lot more room. Uh, what's it, what are those guys? Capitol Police. We had, I got people, friends, girls on our department went to work there. Um, it was something that we all thought of, practiced for. And that entire incident is a reflection of mindset. Um, When the Million Man March appeared or was announced and they showed up, everybody went on alert at D.C. area. I never forget sitting there thinking, y'all do know this is a peaceful march. There's a bunch of black people showing up. Mm -hmm. But they didn't see it as such. And I would always remind my white counterparts, I says, you know, the worst enemy is the one that looks like you. And that is the Ku Klux Klan. That's who I'm referring to, white supremacists. Because they can hide among you, and you'll never know it. But you need a bunch of black people 
some brown people who can assess that tape. I think he's part of that group because our intuitiveness is a lot better at dealing with such. And on that day, they had no anticipation, anticipating idea that something like that would take place. And that was a time that they realized they let the guard down. And instead of focusing on color, you focus on, like DC would say, because DC dealt with protesters, it's like we breathe air. Mm-hmm. Every day somebody protesting. And you show up, you keep your uh, civil disturbance team in the background. Uh, you politely ask them. And in a lot of these cases, uh, the people that are protesting will come to you and say, hey, we're going to protest. These number of people are going to be arrested. And you see that a lot in front of the White House with uh, celebrities showing up. They'll mm-hmm. fly in to be arrested as a symbolic to the cause where uh, this group here just went from point A to point B and nobody looked at it, but the investigation as it pans out will reveal a lot of the, the rules that the black, the Lieutenant for the Capitol police, she's like, Hey, this is bad. And honestly, more women are needed in these positions because it's about intuitive detection of knowing something bad. Men will overlook it because our egos will go, well, I'll be okay. Nah, that look, look closer. And that's what happened. It, they apparently, as we talk, are having that right now. Another group is there protesting the people. That were arrested. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, as we speak, yeah. those, um, I don't even know how you want to, bad Idiots. actors. Idiots. <laughs> yeah. Are, are, are protesting again. So. Yeah. On yeah. this on this fine Saturday, so mm-hmm. no, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. So you you retired and mm-hmm. and then the the itch that you must have gained as a Boy Scout really kicked in because you're doing what now? And God help you because you know the last thing I want to do is camp. So <laughs> you know camping. And before you tell the story, I'll tell the story. As we were Boy Scouts one day. At summer camp, I'm in the latrine, and for those who don't know what the latrine is, is bathroom, or the part of outhouse or whatever you want to call it. And I'm sitting there, and I hear something hissing and moving my direction. And we were always trained that snakes are afraid of humans; that it will go in the opposite direction unless it's unless it's directly threatened. Well, this snake kept coming my direction. As I'm sitting there, and it's coming, and it's coming, and it's like, this thing isn't turning away. And it's like, so I finally stood up, pulled my pants up, and there was a cross beam that came from the roof, roof of the the latrine. I jumped, grabbed it, and pulled my legs up and started screaming for help. Snake, snake, snake. <laughs> and people thought I was joking, and oh, yes, <laughs> and somebody finally figured out I wasn't joking, and our scoutmaster William Watkins <laughs> caught the thing in a in a coffee can and told us it was yes. it wasn't poisonous, Poison. and he took it to the Rapture Center, and the Rapture Center said, "No, this thing is very poisonous." <laughs> it's like, oh, jeez, right. 
It's like, what? <laughs> so before he told the story, I decided to tell the story. I but, will never forget that. Because what was his name? Darren Faison, I think yeah. it was. Darren, would, he was a year or two behind us. And he would make those adventures to walk and say, don't do that. It's like, you know, crying uh, wolf. Right. So that morning, I was laying on the cot, and I kept hearing, and uh, you yelled. And then I could tell the pitch in your voice was a little different. (laughs) So (laughs) I leaned up from my cot, pulled the flap back on my side of the tent. And from my perspective, I could see this snake dancing back and forth. It stopped in the doorway, and you behind it. (laughs) I'm, I'm hanging six feet in the air, plus six plus feet in the air. So and where are your pants? <laughs> <laughs> no, I pulled them up before I. But yeah, I'm hanging there screaming. So John is hanging in the air. This so. snake is dancing back and forth, and I think the idea that I would look out and thinking it was just a joke, but it wasn't. There was a real snake there, and he was just dancing. And Mr. Watkins came over and took it away, and I'm thinking, now that was different. Go, needless to say, I didn't go to that toilet. I pinched off and held to I got to one. <laughs> but uh, so so with saying that, that leads me because, like I said, I don't do the camping thing anymore. Me camping is a me camping is a hotel. So yeah, I um, <laughs> tell the folks that are listening to this what the heck you are doing now. Okay. Before I, well, when I retired, I actually went part-time. I love driving, so I drove Penske trucks. That's what they call a hiker. You move trucks from point A to point B. I did it in Virginia, and then I went to Orlando, Florida, stayed with Tony for about six months, and went back, sold a house. I did the uh, assessment of where I wanted to live, and it, it came down to this. I wanted to be somewhere in the middle of January at 2 o'clock in the morning with a tank top t-shirt shorts and flip-flops and that turned out to be fort myers florida and i became a fort myers beach bum retired beach bum you get up walk the beach two or three miles in the morning um one of those dudes used to make the comment because they would pour whiskey at 9 30 10 o'clock in the morning and sit, and sit there really on the gulf of mexico in gazebos and look out onto the ocean and then one of the ladies there uh at the beginning of the end of the year because we were out New Year's Eve on the beach, and she's going to take a class called Creative Writing. Six months prior, I had started back to reading, which is something I never thought I would do. But sitting on the beach, reading a book is pretty cool. I took a class for Creative Writing. Uh, two more years go by. I become a writer, sort of. I can't admit it because I can't believe what I write. People believe. Then uh, the, I remember... Old folks in our community saying, listen to old people. They don't get to be old by being a fool. And these older 85-plus-year-old people who could outrun me, I'll paddle, I'll paddle, pedal, and walk and run me. I was doing 5K races, walking. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would leave in May, and they would say, Marty, you want to come up to upstate New York or Montana or Utah? I'm like, no, I have a beach bump. Well, I left in 2016. I haven't looked back. Well, I did. I went back the first year, and... 
I realize I miss the road and I miss being in national parks. I love, I'm a national park geek. Yes, I said it. I'm an African-American male in his approaching 60 and I can stay in the national parks like I, like we did as kids at Six Flags. Remember that? Yes. Yeah. I got a yearly pass. I can go backpacking. I can hike. I can camp. Uh, I just posted pictures on my Instagram site from Ruby Beach, which is on the peninsula of Washington State. Um, there's so much I've learned uh, about being in nature. There's a book called uh, The Nature Fix by Florence Williams, and it talks about how your brain changes. A lot of uh, our military personnel are coming back with traumatic issues, and they are recommending walking, hiking, being out in nature, and it does prolong your life. I just spoke with a guy named Richard the other day. He has a COPD, breathing problem. Mm -hmm. But uh, he lived in the area near Tumwater, south of Tacoma, Washington, in an apartment, him and his wife, and he and his wife. And they now live in this campground that I'm at. And at the campground, he says, I think, this was two days ago, he says, I think being in this woods has helped my health. Now, granted, he got up three times in an, in an hour to go get some mixed drinks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's not smoking no more. And um, I would implore everyone to enjoy the beauty of nature because your eyes should gaze upon the beauty before you die. And as I travel, I know my mom and father are following me. They are getting to witness some of the beauty that I see. Uh, even coming here today, you can drive along the beach and today is Saturday and there's a storm front that just went through and the sun is out where yesterday I got photos and video of a gale storm where the water is rushing up against the shore and blowing the sand. And Just because the sun doesn't shine doesn't mean you should not go outside. That's something I'm becoming to appreciate. Matter of fact, put a jacket on and walk out the rain jacket and keep going. Um, I now have a blog post. Uh, I still can't believe it. Uh, <laughs> I, as a writer, aspiring writer, I have yet to publish anything. But if you go to the internet and you Google my name, there will be a picture of me. And that picture is from the Wasatch Mountains in Utah, which is where I saw my first uh, moose up close. But I have over 1,000 blog posts. And I don't blog as much as I used to. I'm starting back. As a matter of fact, after I finish with you today, I'm going to do that. I started some YouTube videos. I did one recently. I'm going to go back to that. And, of course, the Instagram and then the Twitter. And then I write also uh, cultural pieces like uh, what you asked me earlier about law enforcement. Right. Um, there's a site that I write to. It's called Tremor. Okay. And medium. Yeah, trimmer and medium. And my moniker is 007 Pandas. <laughs> P-O-N-D-A-S. Right. <laughs> now, 007, everybody goes, where'd you get that from? Eh, I can't tell you that. Right. But the Pandas <laughs> is from where? 
takes us back to where? <laughs> it takes us back to high school where you were Thank called you. the panda. That's right. <laughs> you were the defensive line. You were on the defensive <laughs> line, and somebody called you a panda. I don't know if that was who started. If it was Smitty or Mike P or <laughs> Mr. Perry. It, it was Mr. Perry. Mr. Perry. And when when I was in St. Louis, I saw him. I said. You know, you're the reason why my name is Panda to this day. <laughs> <laughs> Did he remember so, that? I don't think so. I think the first time he was shocked, and then I think the second time, I think he kind of remembered because he was retired at this time when I mentioned it to him. But uh, it truly is funny how you keep attached to some of the uh, names you're given and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, th- I think the writing aspect is in reading. Uh, I, if you if you go to my blog post, which is is a mouthful, be prepared. Expedition Overland Nomadic Adventurer. Okay, yes, it's a mouthful. It can be shortened to Iona, which is the first letters of each of those words. And there, every Valentine's Day, I post a blog post at at uh, my talking about my my two wives <laughs> and everybody says what i go yeah i got two wives and i says my first wife her name is writing and they go what and i says yeah my second wife is reading and i'm dedicated to them i i i feel that if there had been more of a focus on writing at elementary, middle, and high school, I would have been a writer. But if I had been a writer at that time, I would not have had the life experiences mm-hmm. that provides those elements that are needed for my characters that I write about. And you know, I have not published. I've got short stories that I submit to journals, uh, mostly university journals, because journals, university journals, for which I think I'm actually going to return back to you to university for a creative writing degree in history. Right. I want to do that again. And uh, I think there is no time, but I've met 85-year-olds and 74-year-olds who've gone back to school and started a second career, a second life, a second chapter in their life. Um, It's so much to do and so much to see. Uh, just in the U.S. alone, because, of course, everybody wants to go travel around the world. But the number of people I've met, the two duchies from the Netherlands, uh, a couple who I met riding bicycles across the U.S. Well, actually, when I met them, they were on a last leg of bicycling around the world, and they were in their 60s. They were, uh, she was an English teacher, and he was a prison administrator from Southampton, England. Yeah. The people you meet out here is just as strong is, is just extraordinary. Um, and of course because this country is so large, like India, the African continent, um, places that you can spend a couple of years just touring, uh, and then appreciating the planet that we live on. No matter how bad things are getting. Uh, we are all still a little bit better. We're becoming more educated to knowing how to identify our uh, bad people. That's what <laughs> right. I call them. Uh, well, white supremacists and so forth. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you talk about uh, forests and the wilderness. You were yeah. here what two months ago? Yeah. In Minnesota, and we connected, and I brought you to my place, and I showed you what's out my <laughs> out my back porch, and uh, I run through it, but I won't sleep in it, and. Um, <laughs> And the other thing, I don't think I ever told you this. Mm-hmm. My uh, degree is in sociology, criminal justice, and I like there's no way I was going to be a cop. Then I was going to be a teacher, and it, you know my family. There's too many of those, so I tried other things and wound up in my first real love, which is sports and athletics. Anyway, so yeah, and now you know the the side business of repairing equipment and then this podcast are all predicated on doing what you're doing which is having a life after retirement yes <laughs> and, and you find something you love just stay with it you'll live longer and i don't want to talk too much about your state because it is a hidden gem <laughs> when i left you john yeah whoo, there's a national park up near the canadian border and i remember standing in the visitor center and the park ranger walks over she says did you did you get the brochure i go oh yeah but i'm serious i said i'm standing here thinking i had my mask on i'm standing here thinking how many months i gotta stay here to appreciate it and then i looked at her up until it gets too damn cold (laughs) (laughs) yeah if you if you come in late march or mid march Mm -hmm. and then come through the spring and the summer that would be the and then leave and like mid-September, you would get it all. Winter, spring, summer, and fall in that short period. Um, It is a hidden gem. That's why why I never returned home. I couldn't... I I never saw myself surviving going back home. I didn't. There was nothing there that interests me outside of family that um, beckoned me home again. That... that North Shore, and they call it the, uh, it's along the mm-hmm. Lake Superior. John, go go drive up, get a hotel room. I've been up there, Marty. <laughs> oh, bam, that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Oh, Lord. And Itasca State Park. Yeah. Oh, no, man. I've, I've been up there for a weekend. I've been up there. Mm. The, I've coached, when I used to coach youth hockey, it was always important that we had a week because we would play play at least three uh, weekend tournaments. One we hosted, and then mm-hmm. you, we got two others. And one of them was always we got to find a place up north. We got to find a place up north. Your parents first yeah. thing out of all your parents' mouth. We got to find a place up north. <laughs> all right. Don't tell too many people. And <laughs> and, I know this podcast goes out. Right. But- Everybody's going to find out about it. I got a Carolyn. She's a YouTube person, friend of mine, and she found it. And she 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 talked about Virginia. I think it is the name of the yeah, town. Yeah, Virginia, Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. And I says, don't mention Itasca. He sent me a message back. He goes, Yeah. I don't want to even tell my family about this. <laughs> and my son graduated from Duluth, Minnesota. So. He was there for five years going to school, going to college. And I'll never forget, he, after his first semester, his buddy flunked out, who they're roommates together now, and um, 
flunked out. And I was like, well, that's the end of him going back. And I looked up and I said, I hear Jake's not going back. Are you? And he goes, no, I'm going back. <laughs> and for the first two years, I would ask him, are you going back? And, yeah, I'm going back. And I, I, after the second year, I was like, yeah, I'm done asking. He's going back. So. He's going back. It's beautiful. Uh, I wrote a blog post about my time there. Um, what's his name? The uh, singer, Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. is from there. Right. And again, I think I still will want to see, because I actually got to tour a fish house. It was a trailer. <laughs> right. I walked in. John, they had those couches along the back wall, kitchen, mm-hmm. toilet, full bathroom toilet. Yeah. A bar and then another set of recliners and two TVs. I'm like, two TVs? Damn. Well, there was six holes in the middle of that bad boy. Right. And that's where they drill their holes to drop their lines. But yeah, f- yeah. winter fishing, something again that for me to get on the ice, there better be blades on my feet <laughs> to skate on. <laughs> But um, there's people who can't wait. They're sitting in their house, sitting in their regular homes right now, and all they're dreaming about is ice fishing. Fishing, yeah. yeah. So, and, and it was so well designed that they had a section for the auger. Right. They had a, a, a black plastic pan, so when you take the auger out, you sit it over there, and you tie it off, and you just sit there and fish all day. Now, I'm a firm believer you should at least gaze upon things and let your eyes see it and do it one time and then go, okay, where's the beat? <laughs> That's cool. Right. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. NASCAR is going to be in St. Louis next year. Well, East St. Louis at the raceway there. Oh. So if you get the chance, I'll tell anybody, check out NASCAR. Don't let the craziness fool you. It's uh, <laughs> They now allow you to take your coolers in. Okay. Whenever I would go, I would take two sandwiches, a bag of peanuts, two waters, two beers, and two fruit waters, something like that, for a race, for, for yeah, anything over 400 miles. And uh, you get to take it in, sit there, and watch the race. And the tickets are under 100 bucks. But the kicker is you and I and everyone listening has listened to sports, either via the radio or television and you never know what they are doing whether it's football baseball basketball hockey soccer you don't know their plays when you watch a basketball game you see them huddle up and Mm -hmm. they'll be talking well in nascar if you go get the headset because it is like listening to a comedy show right you better be used to some cursing because these people do not like one another. And when you listen, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, he was just shaking his hand two hours ago. Yeah. He's a devil well, right now. <laughs> well, that sounds like I was privy to every once in a while being handed a headset on the sidelines for uh, football games and, and being yeah. privy to coaches <laughs> saying some of the craziest stuff to each other that if people ever heard is like, how does, how does a football team function or – you know how how do those guys get along in this that and the other so i totally understand what you're talking about marty it's been a blast Mm -hmm. um this old idiot has uh got some uh got a baseball game i had to get ready for and get to Mm -hmm. um 
Where, where can people find your uh, your writings again? Oh, um, if you Google my name, M-A-R-T-Y-L-E-A-K-E, you'll see a picture of me, or just look for Expedition Overland Nomadic Adventure, and my uh, social media connections are from the website. I got the YouTube channel, which is not too much on there. Twitter I have, and my Instagram is 007pandas, 007-P-A-N-D-A-S. And if you take that same thing, you'll see the listing on Google of Trimmer and Medium. Those are the uh, two sites I write about, uh, social, political, commentary, and narratives. Um, the website has over a 1,000 blog posts, and I can't believe it. I've been doing this a while. I, I still have to look at it and go, what? I got over a thousand blog posts on my uh, trimmer site, which is some comments about uh, capitalism and amateur athletics, which you know now the kids mm -hmm. can profit from from it. Their their uh, image and likenesses. Yep, I just yeah. like I said, just talking to the head baseball coach, and he was telling me that <laughs> it's part of the reason why a lot of old baseball, football, basketball coaches are all retiring. <laughs> so, yeah. How do you how do you calm a kid down who's getting a couple hundred bucks? And think about it: if you had a couple hundred dollars every two weeks or every week, or with now was it they got that demo and Bitcoin, mm -hmm. you get your money daily. You got to focus on going to school. You you got to be really truly disciplined to stay. Oh, I need to focus on my class. Exactly. Is exactly what Coach Anderson said. He said, "By he goes, my biggest worry is making sure that kids spend the right amount of time on that and continue to go <laughs> and worry about school and not just worry about how can they make how can they make more money, likes. right? Yeah, more likes, <laughs> right? And I'm I'm just blown away, and I'm thinking if that had been me, and I work, I had a an attorney." Uh, come with attorney friend and she told me she graduated from the university there in new orleans i can't think of the name right now um and when i went there with uh, after one of the hurricanes with the, with fema they were like the college is right there do you remember the name of that university in uh new it's orleans? either southern it's southern but there's another one or right uh, tulane yes tulane yeah john let's be honest <laughs> 17, 18 year old guy, and the French Quarter is right down the street. Mm -hmm. Shoot, I never would finish college. Yeah, and you got uh, <laughs> you got LSU and in Baton Rouge. Baton yeah. Rouge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's it's, I, it's it's a new era, a new time. And right. I don't know. I'm just glad I don't have to be. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, check my sites. Um, yeah. I'm gonna publish a novel based on B. Carol <laughs> who, um, at some time in the future or a stage play. I'm right. looking, leaning more towards a stage play with uh, our alumni, mm -hmm. Cleo King right. and Michelle Dillard. I've been really inspired by what they just put on there in St. Louis. And uh, Cleo's in New York City with a thing called Chicken and biscuits. Yeah, I tried to. I extended an invitation to Cleo, and 
she's busy, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she, you got to get a what's the name card? Uh, what you call that? Sad card. <laughs> right. Uh, get a hold of Michelle. Check out Michelle because Michelle's really doing good. I sat down with her once uh, when I was in the city, picked her brain and. That's that's where I'm headed. That's where I'm headed down. So, okay. yeah, I was looking at some of her stuff, her postings, and mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of diligent in the fact that um, I need to talk to either Coach Perry or Coach Walls and um, get them to share that that whole part of our life. But uh, I'll when you make the um, the this the the story about our life <laughs> i'm looking forward to it <laughs> i want to do that and i'm thinking if you took if you remind me of that uh the name church of what's the name church of, uh, i'm gonna send you i'm gonna send you a skit in reference um i'm gonna send you a skit i want you to read it over yeah it's something for saturday night live because i i'm, I'm sure it's either that or a good joke that you can pass on somebody else so. <laughs> look forward to it and the church again was called the church of better better fools and jackasses uh, so today's guest has been marty jerome leak james <laughs> oh is it james i always thought it was yeah. jerome no no that's brian's brother i know that part <laughs> Some people thought it was Jabumpy, so and that's not oh, right either. Yes. <laughs> that's right, I remember that. <laughs> so Marty James Leak mm-hmm. and yeah. uh oh, yeah. here on the lost episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. The Black Avenger. Godfrey Cambridge is Gravedigger Jones. Raymond St. Jock is Coffinhead Johnson. Look out for a brother, man. What you gonna play now? Is the girl crazy? That's the piece. I sure am hungry. Baby, check, baby, one, baby, baby, one, four, two. Black is black. And you're black. He was as big as Muhammad Ali. Black is beautiful. Right on. Uh, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm blickety black, blacker than black, black, I'm blacker than black, yo, because I'm black, black.